chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn there with me. The uh, film, uh, The Passion of the Christ, was probably uh, the most attended film in history. Uh, this was put out by Mel Gibson and um, probably will earn over a billion dollars uh, before it's finished. Many of our churches uh, rented theaters, bought tickets for sinners, brought them in, gave altar calls. Uh, several of our people went into the theater before they caught on to what was happening and gave their own altar call without renting the theater. So the management caught on to what was happening and started turning the music up so nobody could hear what they were saying. But the defining image of that film was blood. Uh, there were all kinds of uh, uh, criticisms. So this is a gory, uh, shocking film, and uh, a lot of criticism was made. It was too uh, gory, but uh, sinners always have that problem. No problem with the Terminator. He can blow away 100 people an hour. But uh, if you show a bloody Christ uh, on, in the parade, why, it's shocking little kids, you know. But uh, the interesting thing that is there that uh, triggered my mind is uh, the only indispensable factor of the gospel of Christ and Christianity is the blood. Without the blood, you simply have a group of people gathering together under a religious banner doing religious things. And no teaching, no concept, no precept has any effect if you remove the blood. And I want to talk to you this morning about the blood of Jesus Christ from Levit Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. If you'll follow with me, five simple verses. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to, to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord... You should bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He will offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he should put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. I want to talk to you about the blood this morning, very simple, but a very profound sermon. And first of all, I want to point out to you that we have atonement by the blood. It's very crucial uh, that we grasp this business of atonement. God is a righteous God. He rules in a moral universe. That means that the moral law that was given on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, are an expression of God's nature. And having said that, that he rules in a moral universe, he cannot simply say to you or to I, okay, I forgive you. He cannot simply say to you and I, I forgive you because I love you. Because there's a violation of law. When you uh, go speeding down the street, run a red light, or you're on the highway doing 90 miles an hour and you get caught, 
and you go before the judge and say to him, you know what, I, I was distracted by mind, uh, you know, I was worried about the kids, he doesn't care, he just wants money, isn't that right? He wants you to pay the price of violation of the law. This is what law is all about. But this morning we're considering a far higher precept, and that's the moral law of God. And when a violation of God's moral law is, uh, 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 is done, then there has to be a penalty that is paid. Romans 6.23 says, for, this, uh, for the wages of sin is death. So if we're going to think about atonement, we're going to have to consider the satisfaction of justice by blood. Look at that word atonement in verse 4. It has tremendous meaning. And in the Old Testament, you remember that the penalty of sin was not removed, it was just covered. We have the Ark of the Covenant. We have the tables of the law. They were put in the, uh, in the uh, ark. It was covered over by what is called the mercy seat. Once a year, the high priest took the blood, uh, went into the mercy seat and sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice for the entire nation and simply uh, covered over but did not remove the sin. This was God's uh, prescribed uh, uh, remedy for the moment. This is what atonement is all about. In the Old Testament, atonement was simply a covering for the sin. But in the New Testament, there's a new uh, precept that is introduced in this business of atonement. We find it brought to completion. And Romans 3.23 uh, and uh, 24, actually, the last half of the, of the verse, 24 through 26, says, A redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth uh, as a propitiation or satisfaction by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in other words, in the Old Testament we find the mercy seat, we find the Ark of the Covenant, we find the sacrifice of the high priest going and sprinkling the blood simply covered over but did not remove sin. This was looking forward to the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's tree and the Bible says that sacrifice didn't just cover over but it removed or satisfied the justice of God. Leviticus 17 verse 11 says for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And then in Romans 5 verse 11 and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Two words that you need to write down and think about when we're thinking of the revelation of God in, in Christ is propitiation and expiation. One means satisfaction, that's what propitiation has to do. Expiation means removal. First John 2, verse 2. 
The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, or the satisfaction of our sins, or the sacrifice that satisfies, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. First John 4.10 says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So here we have this principle, and that is in this word atonement uh, that justice has been satisfied. But this must be a personal experience, not enough for you to simply come to church that believes uh, in the atonement and have religious doctrines uh, preached or taught. That's not sufficient. There has to be a personal experience with this. And this is why in verse 4 it says, He shall put his hand upon the head. In other words, uh, there's going to be a personal identification. This is my sin. See, this is what much of a religion misses. Even much of Christianity today has done away with this. They have no altar calls. They do not demand a repentance from the individual. They simply have religious services, religious activities. But there is no personal identification. But in the atonement, there has to be a personal identification. The worshiper brought the sacrifice, brought it to the priest, the Jewish priest, priest, uh, laid his hands uh, upon that, that identified, this is my sin. Then uh, he cut the throat uh, and the priest caught the blood uh, and this was all that had to do with uh, this business uh, of atonement. Uh, Greg and Lisa Mitchell wrote a song uh, some years ago. Part of the word says, I lost my way, but he put me on the track. I sold my soul, but he brought it back uh, to the power the power of the blood. Now before the hippies took over the churches and we did away with the hymnals, we threw them in the trash can and began to sing choruses, uh, many of which mean nothing whatever, we had hymnals. And in those hymnals you find songs that specifically talk about the blood. Let me just read some of these. When I see the blood. There's a fountain filled with blood. Under the blood. Are you washed in the blood? There's power in the blood. Nothing but the blood. And this is why these old hymnals carried this is because that the authors of those hymns wrote about what I'm talking about this morning that the blood of Jesus Christ was the hope of Christianity. This is what satisfied the justice of God. This is the only hope of the world today is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we have atonement in the blood. It satisfied the broken law of God. Secondly, I want you to consider with me that we have deliverance by the blood. Redemption has an imagery. And that imagery is of slaves. When you mention the word redemption, immediately it triggers you into the arena of slaves. In the slave market, uh, they are, uh, where slaves were taken, these are human beings who were captured, uh, they were uh, dominated, they were imprisoned, and bought and sold. And the Bible uses this imagery, and it immediately brings you this imagery when you talk about the word redemption. Today, in several places in the world, slavery is still 
still practiced in Sudan today. Slavery is practiced in several places in the world. Slavery is still practiced. And this means that there are human beings that have become chattel. Uh, they have uh, uh, come into the possession of someone who controls uh, their life. And this imagery is immediately uh, propelled into our understanding when we talk about redemption in the Bible because the devil has captured the human beings by sin. They're imprisoned, they're chattel, they're owned, they're in bondage as a lien upon their soul. And redemption means to purchase and to release. This is why Hebrews 2.15 says, And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In the book that I hold in my hand is the wonderful story of deliverance by power and deliverance by blood. We use the imagery of the Old Testament. You know the story. The people of God are in bondage in Egypt. They are enslaved and they are miserable. They're in toil day and night. But the Bible says that God brought a visitation to his people. And the book of Exodus records that. And he gives directions to Moses. Moses goes into Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I'm not about to let the people go. As a matter of fact, I'm going to increase the torment and the labor that I'm going to get out of them. God had to move upon Egypt. He had to bring the plagues, you know, the whole story. But finally, in Exodus chapter 12, verses 13 and verse 23, we find these words. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 23 says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he, excuse me, when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two, two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Now you know the story. Here's Pharaoh, Pharaoh, again and again. He uh, is moved uh, by the judgment, the, the lice, the blood, the frogs, uh, the uh, hailstones, uh, the darkness. Uh, he's moved by that, uh, but uh, each time he changes his mind and decides he's not going to do. Finally, God strikes the final blow. The death angel passes through the land uh, that night. Uh, every house upon which there is not blood, uh, on, the, on the lintel and upon the doorposts, uh, the death angel strikes the firstborn. That's the crushing blow by power and by blood God brings to redemption and he's willing now to loose the people and let them go. This word redemption literally is the Greek word uh, lutros. It means to loose away. Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, not with the blood of, bo of goats and calves but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. You see sin uh, is a bondage. Many people don't understand that sin is addictive. They have the idea, well, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do a little bit of sin, and then I'm going to come over here and I'll go to church and everything will be all right. I, but you see, you don't understand sin. Sin is addictive. That, 
means that when you enter that arena, there's a spiritual power that is released. And that spiritual power holds you in bondage. It gives the devil a legal right to be operative in your soul. That's what curses are all about. Curses mean that demonic forces have been given a legal right to pursue and attempt to gain entrance to or dominate or destroy the people that are under a curse. And so when you begin to understand that the addictive nature of sin, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to involve myself. Let's say immorality. I'm going to involve myself in immorality, and then I'll just quit doing that. But you see, there's an addictive nature to sin. This is why the Bible says a whore is a deep ditch. What does that mean? That means it's really difficult to get out. When you get in a deep ditch, you're going to have to have a major effort to climb out. Can you say amen? This is why alcoholics have such difficulty. This is why drug addicts have such a difficulty. This is why liars have such difficulty. Can you say amen? This is why kleptomaniacs have, have such difficulty. Is because there's a spiritual dimension. And that spiritual dimension must have a supernatural element that enters and this is where the blood of Jesus Christ comes in. Listen to Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the dominion or kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Here's this one wonderful good news uh, is that the blood of Jesus Christ uh, is not just some passive element uh, that uh, is historical uh, and has no power at the moment, uh, but it is a living principle. Can you say amen? Uh, it has a spiritual dimension, uh, and that spiritual dimension has the power to bring deliverance uh, from the bondages of, of sin. That's a wonderful picture in Isaiah uh, that is uh, an illustration for us. In Isaiah 49... Uh, verses 24 through 26 uh, has a tremendous imagery that we need to consider and we need to look at. When I was uh, uh, dealing with a young man who had a, a very serious demonic oppression uh, one time many years ago, I was sitting uh, around a swimming pool in Nogales, Arizona. We were doing a crusade uh, down in Nogales, Mexico, across the border. And I was wrestling with uh, this, uh, uh, this business uh, of, uh, of how to bring deliverance. This was something I was not uh, uh, fully aware of what was happening. I couldn't understand the dynamics were there. I was wrestling with this uh, and uh, trying to find a solution. Now many people, uh, they think that pastors, uh, there's the greatest job in the world. All you got to do is get up and preach three times a week and you draw big money. I mean, you travel all over the world. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> Well, you see, real pastors are people who are concerned. And uh, when they see people who are not helped, when they see people who are bound, they see people who are entrapped, uh, it, 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 it tears at them. They're, they're, they feel that they have been appointed by God to bring a solution. And so I'm wrestling with this, and God drops this, uh, uh, this scripture in my heart. I want to read the verses to you for a moment. And uh, verse 24 of Isaiah 49 says, Shall the prey be taken from the mighty? or the lawful captive delivered. Now think about those words. Here's the question that is posed. Or in other words, we're dealing with people who are captive of the devil by their own choice. 
There are people sitting right here this morning. You are uh, snared in a part of your personality because you've made the wrong choices. It goes on to say, But thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I'll contend with him that contends with you, and I'll save your children. Verse 26 says, I'm the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Now think about this for a moment. Here's the question. Shall the lawful captive be delivered? You know, I've counseled people many times, and I'm sitting listening to the story that you're telling me of their, of their problem, and I thought to myself, how could you be so stupid? As a matter of fact, I thought to myself, you know, I have the feeling when I'm dealing with some of these problems, you deserve to go to hell. <laughs> or I'm thought, go to hell! You know. Well, you see, pastors don't do that. Pastors are, have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to bring deliverance. Can you say amen? And so, here's this wonderful, because that's not the gospel. The wonderful gospel is found in this uh, text that we have here. And the question is posed, shall the lawful captive, shall those who are captive of the devil because of the choices that they've made that are stupid choices, shall they find deliverance? And the answer is resoundingly yes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, because by grace are we saved through faith uh, and this is not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, uh, lest any man should boast. Uh, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration uh, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so the resounding answer, shall the lawful captive be delivered? Absolutely, because the blood of Jesus Christ uh, brings deliverance. Uh, and that's what Colossians uh, 1, 12 through 14 have to say. Thirdly, I want to point out to you that we have cleansing by the blood. Now, the Bible gives a vivid picture of sin. It depicts it as leprosy. When you see this, the uh, leprosy there, it's a picture of sin, and the Bible uh, points that out. Here's leprosy, the most horrible disease that man can have. Here is uh, uh, a festering, uh, rotting, raw sores and disease. Uh, it's progressive. It eats away um, uh, at the flesh. Uh, it is a pollution. It's a defilement of the entire person. Uh, and the Bible says that they are to be ostracized, uh, and they're to cover their face with a veil to walk through the streets separated from their loved ones uh, and proclaim unclean, unclean, and there's no human cure. Now that's the picture of sin. As I said last night, our generation uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't come to reckon with sin properly. But that's the picture the Bible gives of sin. It's this horrible uh, spiritual element that is far greater than any physical element. It eats away at the soul, at the personality. Anyone who involves himself in sin needs to understand you're headed into uh, a horrible pit uh, from which of your own strength you're never going to uh, extricate yourself. And that's the picture. So the good news and the most wonderful news of all uh, is this business uh, of, uh, of cleansing. This is the greatest promise of time or eternity. Uh, and this means that guilt and shame and condemnation and defilement uh, can be put away. 
This is the integral uh, act of confession of sins. Here is the picture, and that picture is of the uh, penitent sinner that brings the sacrifice, lays their hand upon it, uh, uh, confesses that they're the sinner, this is their sin, slays the sacrifice, uh, and the priest catches the blood, uh, and uh, this gives us a picture of this personal identification. This is the crown jewel of salvation, is that we can be cleansed from sin. Cleansed from sin. I was reading uh, earlier this year in uh, Islam there, I believe it was the Hajj, this is a uh, great celebration they had down in uh, Saudi Arabia and Mecca, Mecca. and uh, what this involves is uh, marching around uh, a black pillar, millions of people march around this and they throw rocks at this pillar and this is supposed to cleanse them from sin for a year. And a stampede happened, and many of them were trampled in the stampede. Several were killed, and dozens were injured. But I want to tell you uh, that, uh, you know, let's suppose that this was good for a year. This means you've got to go to Mecca every year, throw your rock, and, uh, but it's going to take more than throwing a rock for you to get cleansed from sin. That's what leprosy. Leprosy is, is a disease that gets under the skin. It goes inside, and so uh, the deep work has to be more than just some simple uh, surface act. I, somewhere I have an article about uh, people selling kits for uh, uh, for forgiveness, and so what this kit is, I think it was 1995, is a, is what they got is a is a uh, brown paper bag, and you take it, blow into it, and you get rid of your sins. <laughs> Then they have a website, and that website is, uh, uh, Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. Well, it's going to take more than a website. It's going to take an actual spiritual dynamic, and we want to talk about this morning because salvation is the only solution, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that is a completed work. It's not just some surface act, not something happens once a year. It is a salvation from God. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. In the book of Hebrews 9.26 says, But now once, in the end of the ages, has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now you and I uh, are equipped by God with a conscience. And a conscience uh, involves something far deeper than just some outward religious act. See, our conscience is our self-testimony. This means that when you and I uh, violate our conscience, then it has a profound effect upon our personality. For instance, if a person uh, is religious, and as they're religious, they uh, sin, they do not uh, avail themselves of confession of their sin and the cleansing of that sin and the riddance of that sin, then they must develop another, an act. You know, they come to church and they smile and they look great. But over here is another personality, and that personality is living a double life. 
And so to do that uh, begins to affect our personality, and this is what is called schizophrenia. Schizophrenic is a person who has a double personality. This is the religion. Praise you, Lord, we love you. And over here they fornicate or they do whatever they're going to do. And you can't go on like that. See, God's made you so that when you violate your conscience, uh, it profoundly affects you. This will develop schizophrenia. You can go to any mental hospital and you'll find people there that quote the Bible by reams. These are people who are, who are uh, uh, schizoid. And uh, if you persist and go worse and worse, you might have three personalities or maybe a dozen, you know, at, uh, uh, the, uh, the, because this is how God has made us with a conscience. Uh, and conscience is deeper than some outward religious act. Let me tell you a story about some brothers. These are Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers uh, didn't like him. You know, this, uh, this is a kid that had dreams. He dreams about his uh, sheaf. You know, they're out uh, harvesting and his sheaf, uh, all the other sheaf of the brothers bow down to his sheaf. Uh, said, isn't that a wonderful dream? They said, no, that's not a wonderful dream. He hates you. <laughs> had a wonderful dream about the stars and the moon and, uh, and all of these giving obeisance to him. And uh, you know the story. Well, his brothers are, are up at Dothan and uh, they're supposed to be uh, feeding their father's sheep, but they're horsing around. They've gone somewhere else. And he goes up to find them. And uh, when, he, when he comes, he says, uh, here comes this dreamer. Look, this dreamer comes. And they cook up a plot. They throw him into a pit where he can't get out. And they're going to kill him. One brother prevails. Uh, and uh, says, no, let's sell him into a band of slave traders. They sell him into a band of slave traders. You know the story. He winds up in uh, uh, in uh, Potiphar's household, and, and uh, Potiphar's wife gets a hot for him. You know, she wears one of those slinky, no-bra silk things, and she's trying to entice Joseph, but he's a man of God. And so, finally, uh, she gets upset with him and lies about him, has him thrown into prison. You know the story, the baker and the butcher, and, and then uh, finally he gets out. Next thing you know, he winds up second in charge under Pharaoh. Well, there's a famine happens in uh, Israel, and so uh, their father sends them down to Egypt to buy uh, grain, and they go down there, and uh, here's Joseph. They don't recognize him. And uh, as he's there, uh, he inquires something about their background. He sells them corn, but puts their money and uh, a cup back in their uh, sacks, and, uh, and uh, they're discovered, and suddenly uh, they see that, uh, that they're dead. They're caught. Now think about this for a moment. The moment that happens, they say, this has happened to us because of what we did to Joseph, our brother. Think about that. 21 years have gone by. They have families. They're on down the road in life. But you see, conscience is a powerful thing that God has given to us. And the moment they get into a crisis, they all, of one accord, say, this has happened to us because of what we did to Joseph. They did this 21 years ago, and their conscience is still tormenting them. This is a picture of your conscience. You're not going to remove that by throwing a rock. You ain't going to remove that by going on a website and say, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. You're not going to remove that by blowing into a black paper sack or brown paper sack. This is the conscience that God has given to us, and that conscience is very, very powerful. Think about John's Gospel, chapter 8. There's a woman that is taken in adultery. 
even in the very act. They bring her to Jesus. They don't care about this woman. They just want to trap him. And they bring, him, uh, bring her to Jesus and said, uh, Master, this woman has sinned. We caught her in the very act of adultery. The law says uh, that she should be stoned. What do you say? He says, okay. You that are without sin, you cast the first stone. He turned around and began to write on the ground. And the Bible records uh, that each of them being condemned by their own conscience began one by one to file out until he finally raised up and said woman where are your accusers she said no man lord this is the power of conscience you're not going to cleanse your conscience you're not going to be cleansed by some outward act but the glorious message of the bible is titus 3 5 not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the holy ghost hebrews 9 13 and 14 for if the blood of bulls and of goats sanctify to the pure Purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, what we have is a wonderful message, and that's a message of cleansing. Revelation says, Now unto him who loved us and has washed us from our sins in his own blood this is a wonderful message that we have but you see that does you no good unless you in a spiritual action turn from your sin lay your hand upon the sacrifice as it were and say this is my sin I need the cleansing I need this now I want every head bowed every eye closed no one moving for the next several moments the Bible says if we confess our sins, uh, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins uh, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, it's not sufficient just to uh, see this. Maybe you see the film, The Passion. It's not sufficient just to simply uh, be in church, but you have to act upon this wonderful principle and revelation of Jesus Christ we have the blood there are people sitting here this morning you've been entrapped by your own choice you have become captive in a part of your personality there are people here this morning that you are tormented by actions of history I was in Redlands California Saturday night we had two people brought to the platform with lupus. I know because of, his, of past experience that lupus is caused by generally women who have been sexually violated and they hate themselves. They're tormented because of self-hatred and lupus as the body is eating itself. Both of those women powerfully touched all pain, left their body instantly uh, because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. There are people here this morning, you need that. You need the identification that that can bring. Sometimes people are tormented. I have counseled and talked with people who have been involved with actions uh, 20 years before 
and they're tormented uh, yet to this day their conscience has been violated uh, and they've never ever taken care of that before God we're going to stand we're going to sing a chorus do you know the blood oh the blood of Jesus do you know that this morning we're going to sing that let's stand these altars are open this morning we want to take time to lay hold of God and uh, there are people here this morning you need to you need to lay hold of God you need to bring your sins before the Lord you need to personally confess you need to identify if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins uh, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness need to come right now all oh, the blood of Jesus Woo! 